0: This is John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. It says, The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples who were with him heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, "'Rabbi,' which means teacher, "'where are you staying?' And he said to them, "'Come, and you will see.' So they came, and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, which is about 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother." He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee where he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Well, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. You can have a seat. The title of my message today is Come and See. All throughout this text, as you heard me emphasize, is this theme of seeing 20 different times in this brief passage we see words like behold look come and see I found what are you seeking your Bible's probably put a title above this passage that says Jesus calls his first disciples but perhaps a better title for this section of scriptures is the disciples see who Jesus really is you know right now in our culture Many people are discouraged and some are disgusted with American Christianity right now. Um, And if the surveys are accurate, many people are walking away from faith right now. But I believe that what many people are walking away from these days is not actually Jesus. I think they're walking away from something else entirely. Perhaps they've seen churches marred in scandal. That can be frustrating, can't it? They've seen abusive leaders who claim to represent Jesus. You see, there are many reasons why people are leaving Christianity today And what I wish I could say to anyone, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just exploring faith, or if you're tuning in online, what I wish I could say to anyone who is skeptical of Christianity right now, anyone who is tempted to turn their back on the faith, what I want to say to you right now is, would you come and see, would you come and see, not would you come and see my church Not would you come and see my brand of Christianity. Not would you come and see my teaching or our worship band. But would you come and see Jesus? Because whatever nonsense you may have seen from people who claim to represent Jesus, I still am firmly convinced that if more people could see Jesus, not churchianity, but Jesus, and what, who he is, and what he has done, I believe more people would take Jesus of Nazareth seriously. It doesn't mean that if you take a look at who Jesus is that you'll accept him. Jesus says that the path to righteousness is narrow and few will find it. But I believe that if you will open up the scriptures and you'll seek Jesus, if you reject him, at least you're rejecting him. <laughs> I'd rather you see the real Jesus and reject the real Jesus then look at fake churchianity and reject the real Jesus because because of something that's not him. So come and see who Jesus is. And this passage is all about this. This passage tells of four men who see Jesus, and we see how it changes their lives. The first two disciples are Andrew and Philip. And what I would say about them is once they saw Jesus for who he was, they could not wait to tell others about him and to show others. We first meet Andrew in verse 35. He's a student of John the Baptist. And he's hanging out with John the Baptist one day. Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist says, Andrew, look, check it out. It's the, son, it's the Lamb of God. And so Andrew says, Aw, awesome, and he starts chasing after Jesus. He runs after Jesus. Jesus turns around, and he says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you hoping to find? And Andrew says, Rabbi, which means teacher, he says, where are you staying? And Jesus says to Andrew, come and see. And so Andrew spends an entire day with Jesus, hanging out at his apartment, I guess. I don't know. We don't have any details of what Jesus said to him or even any details of what Jesus did during this time. But we know that Andrew and another disciple, which is probably John the Apostle, they spent an entire day with Jesus. And they saw something in Jesus that convinced them that Jesus was more than a rabbi. He was more than a teacher. He was the Son of God, Andrew said. And this realization completely changes the trajectory of Andrew's life. And the first thing Andrew does, the first thing Andrew did the minute he realized that Jesus was the Lamb of God, he went and he found his brother Peter his brother Simon, and he, he, he got to his brother Simon, and he said, I've got to tell you what I saw. I found the Messiah, and immediately he grabs Simon, his brother, and he takes him to Jesus. He's like dragging him by the arm. He says, you've got to come and see this guy. That's Andrew. Well, then there's Philip. And again, we don't know many details about what went on with Philip, but what we know is that the very next day after Jesus called Andrew, Jesus went to Galilee and Jesus found Philip. Jesus actually sought out Philip. And many of you, you say that's your story. You're like, man, I wasn't seeking God, but God sought me. And that's what happened with Philip. But Jesus seeks out Philip and he says to Philip, follow me. And that's all we know. Of Philip's story, but that was enough, like Andrew, to radically alter Philip's life. And just like Andrew, he immediately went and found Nathaniel. And some scholars think that Nathaniel and Philip were brothers uh, because they're always listed together in the Gospels. Nathanael, his the name he's often recon- known, mentioned as, is Bartholomew, and so you often see Nathaniel and Bartholomew. or. Uh, Uh, And uh, Philip and Bartholomew listed together, which makes many scholars think that they are brothers. Other scholars simply think that they were probably just really close friends. I tend to think uh, that they were probably brothers. But that's not the point. The point is this. Philip and Nathaniel were very close. And the greater point is that Andrew and Philip both, the moment that they experienced and they saw the glory of Jesus, the moment that they recognized and saw who Jesus was, they immediately went and told others about Jesus. In this week, I've thought of so many of you that are in our church who over the years have sent emails to me. And ask me and our staff and others to pray for your family members or your friends who don't know Jesus. You know, many of you, 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 you've seen what Jesus has done in your life. Knowing Jesus has given you so much joy and life and freedom, and you just really want your friends and your family members to see Jesus like you do because you know it would give them the same joy that it's given you. You, you, you have that same reaction to Jesus as Philip and Andrew did. You've seen Jesus, and you just want with every fiber of your being for others to see Jesus as well, and that is a good desire. We've got a lot of Andrews and Phillips in this church and that's a good thing. Now maybe perhaps you're hearing that and you're watching today and you go, wait a second, that's proselytizing. That's evangelism. And that makes me nervous. We shouldn't do that. This is a pluralistic society. You are not to push your religion on other people. Listen, we're all evangelists. If you've ever retweeted anything, If you've ever shared a Facebook post, if you've ever forwarded an email, you're an evangelist. Even saying that you should not proselytize is a form of evangelism. You're trying to convince people of a form of religious pluralism, which says everyone's beliefs are equal, everyone, you know, so don't mention, just let everybody be, which actually is an exclusive claim that is offensive to Christians, Muslims, and Jews, and people of other religions. So pluralism isn't as inclusive as it seems, is it? My point is not to pick on anyone, but simply to say that we're all evangelists. We all speak about what we believe, what we love, and the things we've seen. We speak about the things that have affected us. And here's the thing, it works. When something gives you joy, and you just are bubbling up to talk about it, and you speak about it, other people take notice. And we know this, because here's the deal. If everyone on your newsfeed, if everyone on your group text, or everyone in your life, or everyone in your building is talking about the same movie, or the same television show, or the same restaurant, what are you going to do? You're going to go check it out for yourself. Like, you're going to say, well, I mean, everybody's talking, everybody's talking, this must be worth me Going and seeing what it's all about. And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I personally want to join Andrew and Philip and say that knowing Jesus has been the greatest joy of my life. And I want you to know Jesus. The love of Jesus has sustained me during some of the hardest times imaginable. The teachings of Jesus have shown me the way to go when I didn't know what to do. And the mercy of Jesus has given me freedom and has lifted so much shame from my life. Shame that I've carried for so long. Knowing Jesus has lifted that from me. And I'm pleading with you. Come and see who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. We're studying the Gospel of John right now, which is the clearest picture of who Jesus is. And we're going to be studying it for the next, for a long time, okay? So why don't you read the Gospel of John with us and see who Jesus is? Come and see who Jesus is. Andrew and Philip, they saw who Jesus was and they couldn't be quiet about it. Verse 42, though, says that Andrew then brought Simon. His brother to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we talked about Andrew and Philip. Let's talk about Simon Peter for a moment. This is a guy who saw who Jesus could make him to be. So Andrew, this is what happened Andrew came and saw who Jesus was. Then he found his brother Simon, and he told Simon, hey, we found the Messiah. So Simon comes and sees for himself, and it says that Jesus looked at Simon, seeing, looking. Simon saw Jesus, but Jesus also saw Peter. And what we see here in this very brief conversation is that Jesus sees Simon Peter better than Simon Peter could even see himself. Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, you're John's boy, right? He says, yeah, I'm John's boy. And Jesus says, you know, from now on, I'm going to call you Peter. Cephas, which actually means the rock. That's true. Isn't that cool? (laughs) So everybody in Galilee knew Simon as the son of John. So he was a fisherman. Simon was, just a regular guy. He was John's boy from down the block. You know how it is when people, like, they don't don't respect you. They're just like, oh, you're John's boy? Like, you know, it's all about your dad. You're like, I'm my own guy. Like, recognize me. That's what everybody was like in Galilee. They're like, oh, you're John's boy. But Jesus says, Simon, son of John, how about I call you the rock? And Peter's like, okay, I dig that. (laughs) So what's happening here is Jesus just giving out fun nicknames. Simon, you can do it. Simon, you got this, bro. Like, this is all about you. No, Jesus, when he looks at Simon Peter, he sees and he names who Simon will become if he follows him. Peter, follow me, he says. Simon, follow me. You will become Peter. Later, what Peter would discover is that the name rock is very significant because it would be on Peter's confession of who Jesus was and his leadership that Jesus would build the church. It was on the foundation of Peter's faith in Jesus that Jesus would build the church. That's why he calls him the rock. You're the rock, Peter. I'm building my church on what you believe about me. And Peter would go on essentially to be the first pastor he would lead the people of Jesus after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. And right now at this moment, though, Simon's just a fisherman. He's John's boy. He's Simon. But Jesus already sees and knows who Simon will become, and he calls him to something greater, even when Simon can't see it in himself. Jesus sees something greater, than, uh, greater in Peter and calls him to become who he has already declared him to be. You know, I know a lot of people... Um, the reason they are hesitant to consider Christianity or to consider Jesus is that they think they're afraid that following Jesus would actually bring more shame into their lives. I've been there. You know, many people think, I already feel bad enough about myself. Why would I become a Christian? Open myself up to that sort of scrutiny. I don't need to be told I'm a sinner. I already know. I already have shame and guilt. I don't need more. I don't need to have my mess pointed out to me or told that I have to do all these things and get better and act up and all this sort of stuff. You see, many people, their experience of church or their experience of religion is people telling them all the ways they don't measure up and how they must become better if they're going to become acceptable to God. And here's the truth. And take this from me as somebody who grew up around a very harsh form of religion, that kind of stuff can beat you down really quickly. And it can break your spirit. And people don't want to take part in that kind of Christianity. But come and see the real Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't simply tell, Jesus doesn't tell you how bad you are and how you have to become better if you're to be his disciple. Jesus shows you who you really are who you were created to be, and then invites you to become that person. There's a big difference in those two things. Being told who you're not and what a loser you are and how you better shape up and become like this, there's a big difference in that and being being told, this is who you really are. Now follow me and become who I created you to be. See, Jesus doesn't label you by your past. He labels you by your future, and he calls you to that. I've seen some pretty radical conversions to Christianity in my life. I've seen addicts come to Jesus and become clean and grateful. I've seen angry, hateful, bitter people come to Jesus and become joyful and gregarious. I've seen unfaithful and neglectful and mean spouses have an encounter with God and become godly and loving husbands and wives. And I've seen God restore their marriages. I've seen my own grandfather, it's Martin Luther King weekend, I've seen my own grandfather, who was once a bona fide racist, transformed by the grace of Jesus. And as I've watched and I've listened to those stories, I've never heard one person say that they were guilted and shamed into transformation. I've never heard it. I've never heard one person say, man, my transformation came when everybody told me how awful I was. That usually just heaps shame on people and sends them further into a spiral. But I've heard lots of stories of people say, I saw Jesus saying to me, that's not who you are. That's not who I've created you to be. You are more than that. Follow me and become who you really are. See, Jesus doesn't heap shame on you. He heaps on the possibility of a new identity. I've told this story many times before. Um, But if you're new here, you can hear it for the first time. For those of you who've heard it before, eh, sit through it, all right? Um, But I tell this story over and over again because I have to remind myself of it. When I was in college, I was really struggling with my faith, with my identity, um, with finding my faith and trying to live it out. And after a particular, particularly difficult time where I sort of fell trap to one of those sin patterns that just really had a grip on me at that time in my life, I remember being in so much shame and guilt the next day. Anybody been there? Where you're just kind of sitting on the floor with your back up against the bed going, I did it again. How did I do that Again? And I remember just being so disgusted with myself. I remember feeling like God was even more disgusted with me. But I remember talking to a friend who was a faithful Christian. And I told him all the shame that I was feeling. I did this again. I can't believe what I'm this. I'm such a loser. And he simply said, this was back when it took, it cost nine cents to send a text message. And it took like 20 minutes to type a text message. You remember those days? He sent me a text message. You know, he paid nine cents to send me this message. He said, Will, that's not who you are. I said, of course it is. And he said, no, that's who you were. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. My friend said, Will, that's who you were. It's time you start being who Jesus says you are. I cannot even tell you. Now, I've stumbled and fallen many times since that text message. But I can't tell you how pivotal that little dose of theology was for me. Will, you're being who you were. It's time you start being who Jesus says you are. And that marked a turning point in my life where I quit going, I am such a loser, I've got to be better, or else, so God won't be disgusted with me, to this shift in my mind that said, God is pleased with me and I'm his beloved son. Now I'm going to live as a beloved son. Simon, can I call you Cephas? Jesus said. Can I call you Peter? Can I call you the rock? See, Peter thought that he was finding Jesus, but it was Jesus who found him. And Jesus called Peter to a new life that he didn't even realize was possible. That's Peter. Now let's look at Nathaniel. Nathanael is a guy who saw a preview of the great things Jesus can do. Verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I love this because Nathaniel's honest about his doubts. You found the Messiah, huh? Okay, Nazareth, you say? Oh, really, Nazareth? Now, there's two things going on here. First, Nathaniel is from Cana, which probably had like a rivalry. You know, they're, they're you know, football teams in high school, you know, Nazareth versus Cana or whatever. Nothing good can come from that place, said Nathaniel. He probably thought of Nazareth the same way we think of New Jersey, right? <laughs> Nothing good, you know. <laughs> hey, we got Bruce Springsteen. We'll give him that. But the real thing is this Nathaniel knew his Bible. And he knew that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now, he didn't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He just knew that Jesus was from Nazareth. And he says, Nazareth, the Messiah, Nazareth, that can't be the guy. And Philip said to him, Nathaniel, you just got to come and see. I don't have all the answers to your questions, Nathaniel. Just come and see this guy. In verse 47, I love this. Again, it says, Jesus saw Nathaniel. Nathaniel thought he was going to see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, well, before Philip called you over here, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, whoa. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? So this is a little mysterious what's going on here. But Jesus tells Nathanael a little bit about himself. Jesus says to Nathanael, you're an Israelite. And there's no deceit in you. He says, You're a pretty honest guy. You're a straight shooter, is what he essentially says to him. Other translations say, You're an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Jesus is like, he, he knows who Nathaniel is. He's like, I know what kind of guy you are. You're a straight shooter. You're an honest guy. And Nathaniel says, How do you know anything about me? Isn't that how we feel when somebody tries to tell us who we are? Who do you th- How do you know? How do you know who I am? Who are you to tell me? And Jesus says, Well, Nathaniel, I saw you under that fig tree. And this remark alone is enough to make Nathanael fall on his knees and say, it's you, you're the son of God. And a whole lot of biblical scholars have written a whole lot of pages trying to figure out what was going on under the fig tree. Why it's so significant. But the honest truth is, nobody really knows. Except for Nathanael and Jesus. And that's the point. Only Nathaniel and Jesus know what happened under that fig tree. And I suspect it was something like this. I suspect that under that fig tree, Nathaniel had a very private moment. A moment where perhaps he wrestled with his doubts. Perhaps he prayed. Perhaps he vented his frustrations about the way his life was going. Perhaps he confessed his frustration of his own sin and he confessed his sin. Perhaps he begged God to show himself. God, we've been waiting for a Messiah for years. Where are you? All we know is that this was a private time for Nathanael. Whatever was said under that fig tree, Nathanael assumed it was between him and God alone. And Jesus says, I saw you, Nathaniel." And Nathaniel goes, It's you. Now I don't know. I'm actually I do know. You've all had these moments, right? You've had a time of prayer, perhaps you've had a time where you've written in your journal, perhaps in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, you've just wrestled with God. Or you've vented your frustrations. Perhaps a time alone in your life. Perhaps you're sitting alone in your car on the street, not ready to go back inside because of whatever it is that's weighing so heavily on you and you just had it out with God in, the, in your car. Maybe you had a moment where you just expressed or thought and vented all your fears and your doubts and your frustrations, a time where it was just you and God, or just maybe you just thought it was just you and you felt alone just venting and pouring out your heart. We all have these private moments where we let it all out. And we think that no one sees us in this moment. We feel like we're all alone in these moments. We cry, Where are you, God? Show yourself to me. And sometimes in these moments, we think, No one could ever understand me. No one could ever get me. Now imagine if Jesus himself came to you and said, Hey, I saw you in the stairwell. I saw you crying on the subway. I saw you pacing the hallways while you were waiting for the doctor to come out with an update. I saw you alone again in your apartment on your birthday. Now, if Jesus came and said those to you with a harsh tone of voice, you would feel exposed, wouldn't you? But he doesn't say it with a harsh tone of voice. He says it with the tender voice of love and compassion. And when you hear him say that, you don't feel exposed, you feel seen. Seen for who you are, but yet loved in spite of it all. This is what we find in the Gospel of John over and over again. Nathaniel's just the first of many people. That John, John is going to say in a moment, he's going to say, Jesus knew what was in every man and woman's heart. And over and over and over again <laughs> with John with the woman at the well, with the woman caught in adultery, with you know, uh, Nicodemus, with whoever, you're going to see Jesus. He sees deep into everyone's soul. He sees you all the way to the bottom, yet he loves you all the way up to the top. Come and see this Jesus who sees you fully. See, some of you are so afraid of being seen you're afraid of being seen by others, and some of you are afraid of being seen by God because you're not sure how He'll respond if He sees the full you. But here's what you need to know God already sees, and His response is love and invitation and mercy to you. It's not condemnation or frustration or bitterness, it's compassion, and He invites you to come and follow Him. Some of you, you're so afraid of being seen, so afraid. Because you're afraid that if anyone saw you fully, they could never love you. No one could ever understand you. But Jesus sees all of you. And after seeing all of you, he extends his invitation to you. And that was good news to Nathaniel. It was good enough news for him that he immediately fell to his feet in worship. And Jesus says, oh, that impressed you? (laughs) You ain't seen nothing yet, Jesus says. Verse 50 says, you'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, really quick, this is a reference to Genesis 28 where Jacob, who is at the lowest point of his life, he was all alone and God speaks to Jacob through a dream and gives him a vision of encouragement. Uh, He gives him a vision of a ladder coming from heaven and on that ladder angels are ascending and descending they're coming and going from heaven to earth god was saying to jacob jacob there is traffic from heaven to earth on your behalf be encouraged and then jacob says surely god is in this place but now jesus says to nathaniel essentially the same thing he says you think you've seen something now just wait Follow me and you will see angels descending and ascending from heaven just like Jacob. But Jesus leaves out a key element. Jesus doesn't mention a ladder. And many of the finest biblical scholars agree that what Jesus was saying is, I'm the ladder. I am the means in which heaven and earth are connected. You see, Jesus, through His death and His resurrection, provides the way for us to know God and be comforted by God. He is the ladder. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. On the cross, Jesus bridged the gap between your sin and God's holiness, and He now extends Himself the ladder, whom you can walk on from death to life. Jesus says to Nathaniel, follow me and you're going to see great things. You will be comforted by the host of heaven. You will be given new life through my death and my resurrection. Come and see what I will do. And the invitation of Jesus is the same for you and me. Come and see. Come and see what Andrew and Philip couldn't shut up about. Come and see the Jesus who sees you for who you are, but yet calls you to something greater like he did with Simon Peter. Come and see the Jesus who sees you all the way down, yet loves you all the way up, like he did with Nathaniel. Jesus sees us fully for who we are, yet sacrifices all of himself for us. Jesus is the ladder who gives us access to heaven. And he shows us the direction that we can walk, in which we can become the person who he has created us to be. Come and see this Jesus. Let me pray for you, Crossroads. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to live in our place, to die in our place, and to be raised to new life in our place. And God, the invitation of Jesus is, even though he sees us for who we are, and what we are, and what we've done, and what we've thought He calls us to be who He is calling us to be, which is to be conformed into the image of Your Son, Jesus. God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He was lifted up and that all those who look on Him will have life. And so I pray, God, that we will come and see who Jesus is and we will have life because of it. And it's In your name we pray.